You're listening to episode 70 of the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we talk about what being a maximizer versus a satisficer means for you and your happiness. Welcome to the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we explore how to use the science of psychology, Eastern spiritual practices like mindfulness and compassion, and the game-changing work of self-coaching so you can free your mind and free your life. I'm your host, Anna Verzoni. Hey, hey, wild and wacky humans. How are things going for you this week? I got back from Hawaii last week and have been loving hiking in the mountains around here in Alaska. And I had an epic weekend in Girdwood and my quads are still a little sore from hiking back down the mountain, like 2,400 feet. So now I'm faced with what to do this weekend. And there's an awesome gathering of musicians outdoors and hope, a little town that's by our yurt. You hear me talk about it now and then, and it looks so awesome. But I'm also just so slammed with, you know, having to just take care of everyday house stuff. And I can sit here and debate what I should do for a really long time because often I really want to make the best decision. It's like I can let go and feel relaxed when I know I've made the best decision and I'm sure about it. But sometimes we will never know in advance if it was the best decision. And sometimes, oftentimes, going through that whole process of figuring out what the best decision is, is exhausting. It's sort of like why I like the simplicity of when I travel to more remote places abroad. And if you need something like toothpaste and you walk up to the little wooden shack and you're like, hey, do you have any toothpaste? And they're like, yes, we do. And they put down a tube and you're stoked they have it and they're stoked they have it for you. And it's definitely not an organic toothpaste, but you're stoked because it's your only option and they had it. So why is it so easy to be pleased in this scenario? What the best decision is, is so clear in this case, right? You only have one option. Now, are you the type who explores all of your options online before clicking buy on that plane ticket to Asia, agonizing over the cost-benefit analysis of everything from like the new toothpaste to new cars? I mean, let's face it, like I walk into the toothpaste aisle and I'm like, what? There are so many choices, right? So anyway, Barry Schwartz, he's a psychologist who wrote The Paradox of Choice. He's done interesting research on the consequences of living in a culture that assumes that more choices are better than fewer, which sort of relates to the more, more, more culture I touched on last week's episode, right? The gist of what Schwartz's research shows is that having a lot of choices is sort of a curse on our happiness, right? He divides people into two categories. And those who, when faced with many choices, try to maximize their gain, and those who satisfice or accept the first available option that meets their criteria. Now, this satisficing concept, it was first proposed in 1956 by the U.S. Nobel Prize winning economist Herbert Simon. And he combined the words satisfying and sufficing. And he believed that when satisficers are presented with a decision, they will first consider what they want to gain or preserve from a situation. Then 
evaluate their options to find the solution that meets their requirements. So by now, you may have guessed that maximizing is a form of perfectionism, and we know how much perfectionism stresses us out, right? When we maximize, we try to ensure we've explored all the best possible options when we make a decision. There's even a maximization scale. (laughs) And y'all know how much I love assessments and stuff. But this measures individual differences in desire to maximize. And in one study, seven different samples revealed negative correlations between maximization and happiness, optimism, self-esteem, and life satisfaction. Meaning, as the need to maximize went up, those other measures went down the happiness, optimism, self-esteem, and life satisfaction. They found a positive correlation between maximization and depression, perfectionism, and regret, which means as maximization went up, so did those other elements of depression, perfectionism, and regret. Another study found maximizers are less satisfied than satisficers with purchasing decisions, which makes sense, right? And that they were more likely to engage in social comparison. So in fact, like no matter what the baseline general tendency was to maximize, people experience lower self-esteem and poorer emotional well-being on the days that they maximize more. Because let's face it, we all do it sometimes. So even the people that didn't identify as maximizers per se, when they had high maximizing days, they had poor self-esteem and lower emotional well-being. And this association is largely explained by feelings of regret, like wishing you had selected a different party than the one you actually attended, right? That's likely to make you feel worse about yourself and your life. And this is especially true on the days when you have a lot of options, probably because this provides even more opportunities to question the quality of any final decision you make, right? So as you can see, maximizers try to squeeze the maximum benefit out of every decision, constantly searching for the best possible option and outcome. And Barry Schwartz, as well as others, suggest that maximizers are less happy than satisficers, right? The people who are content just to select options that are good enough. And I know in our culture, good enough sounds so awful, but hang in there. I see so many maximizers in a kind of analysis paralysis in my coaching practice, especially when it comes to big decisions. But it can also happen with everyday decisions. People like to think that they will know if something is the best decision or not. We want to know the outcome in advance. We want to know for sure that it's the right decision. But since it's in the future, this can never happen, right? Often, we won't know until we make the decision and experience it. But for maximizers, this drives them batshit crazy. I had a client who was really struggling with where to move. So she came up with her ideal criteria, right? Being able to ride her bike to work, being close to nature, the political environment, et cetera. And she narrowed it down to three or four places, all of which met her ideal criteria all awesome, beautiful places, all with their pluses and minuses, but all that met her key criteria nonetheless. But she would not make a decision because she didn't want to make a mistake. She wanted to know in advance 
that she had picked the perfect place. So the analysis process would begin again. It's like being stuck in a thought loop, right? But y'all, especially the maximizers out there, often we don't know until we do the damn thing. And we can instead make a choice that we will be happy with what we choose. Like, I'm not going to question this for six months or for a year. And I'm going to be stoked about this. We can choose that. So maximizers search out all the best possible options when making a decision, hoping to make the perfect choice, which since we can't predict the future, or at least most of us humans can't, is impossible to know. We satisfice when we choose something based on preset criteria and move on. Now, to be clear, satisficing doesn't mean settling for something less than what we really want. It doesn't mean to pick the first thing that comes along, even if it's missing some of your key criteria. No, like the example I gave, my client had found places that all met her really important criteria. One would not have been sacrificing something she wanted. Not one of them. Satisficing is just a different way to go about making a decision. Why bother learning if you're a maximizer or satisficer? Because it has to do with your happiness. The bottom line is happy people make decisions differently. Happy people tend to satisfice. Maximizing, on the other hand, is a common default mode for perfectionists and is associated with unhappiness and discontent. Now, this may be hard to believe, especially if you're a perfectionist, because it seems like maximizers would have high standards, so we could assume that the decisions they make are, in fact, better. And this should lead to more happiness, right? I mean, I'm a maximizer to a degree, but it's all relative. Actually, I'm more like a recovering maximizer. (laughs) Now, no one wants to waste money, but some of us go a little overboard trying to get the best possible deal, right? Like my husband, he's a total maximizer. He will compare cost of plane tickets for days, even weeks, and then spend weeks or months thinking about an itinerary for a trip and then spend time after that checking if it was the right decision. And the reality is sometimes he scores on the plane tickets but often the prices go up while he's mulling them over. And sometimes he comes up with an epic itinerary that leads to tons of adventures. I totally get to benefit from his maximizing tendencies in that regard. And this all kind of reinforces this behavior, right? In ourselves and others when things really work out, right? And sometimes there's a place for this maximizing skill to be applied, with boundaries. Like when I plan a retreat, I go into detail about all this stuff to maximize the experience for my people, for our group. There's also data that shows that maximizers tend to get paid a smidge more, but maximizers might miss out on things like locking in a good mortgage rate while they're waiting for a better one. Their determination to make the optimal choice means that they often have buyer's remorse as well as analysis paralysis and not making decisions. And the question is, are maximizers feeling more happy? Are maximizers more stressed about daily life and decisions? Even when things work out for maximizers with decisions, 
often there is a lot of stress in the interim about what to do and how to do it and a lot of regret later. For example, there's a plane ticket that pops up that's a hundred bucks less or a new route that we didn't do. Regret. That's the looming negative emotion with maximizers, wondering if they'll regret a decision later. So regretting in advance, really, or regretting a decision after it's made if new information becomes available. But the thing is, regret is a decision. More on that in a minute. So are maximizers more happy? Not necessarily, right? Maximizers actually tend to be less happy with the decisions they make when and if they finally make them. Why? Here's another example. I was looking at condos in Hawaii last year. I knew I wanted an ocean view. I would be working full-time from this place. I didn't want to have to sit out on a lanai or take a quick walk to the beach to see the ocean. I wanted to be able to see the damn thing from anywhere in my space. And I told my realtor, this is what I want. This is my price range. I care more about the view than the size of it. I don't want to be able to hear a bunch of traffic, et cetera, et cetera. I had like my, my key criteria, right? We looked for one day, narrowed it down to three places. We went into those three again the next day. I asked for quiet. I imagined myself in each space working, hanging out with my family, and I made a choice. It was the smallest of anything we'd looked at, a tiny studio. It didn't even have a bedroom, right? And I have a kid (laughs) and a husband with like a really big paraglider. It didn't have AC, air conditioning, like the other places. Where would I record my podcast in this little space? How would I get work done while Maya was doing online school? I'd figure that out later. It wasn't on my list of key criteria. I needed light and ocean and ocean sounds ASAP. But when you walked into this place, the ocean was right there. I could see it and hear it while making tea. First thing when I woke up, still lying in bed, there was no road between me and that ocean, no other rooftop. I was right there. My husband, on the other hand, could see all the choices I didn't make. The less expensive two-bedroom set back from the ocean with only a peekaboo view, but with more space and near the surfing spot and, or perhaps the slightly larger place that had air conditioning, but we had to have views from the lanai, right? Now, to his credit, he also liked the choice I made, but he wanted me to think about it for a while. So to put this into context, I was making a big decision after two days, whereas his motto is, I like to think about things for a year so I can feel what it's like in each season. Because he's thinking his opinion might change depending on the season. I mean, maximizer, right? I love him. (laughs) Anyway, I knew I wasn't going to have time to think about this for a long time. The market was picking up just after Hawaii opened up again. And we were there in the first week of it opening up because we'd already had plans to go originally for a conference that was canceled, but we, we went out anyway to help out like my mood, my seasonal affective disorder was so bad. So already things were starting to go up in price. And he was pretty uncomfortable with how quickly I made the decision. I, on the other hand, was super content with it. It met all my needs that I'd gotten clear about. It felt right in my bones more so than the other two places. It felt right. Did I know it was the perfect spot? No. Afterwards, I admit, we would look at new listings. Remember, I did say I was a recovering maximizer and I'd see other places and wonder. Sure. But I also reminded myself that this place met all my needs and it was perfect for me. 
I get to decide that. I get to decide that it was the right choice. I get to decide to not have regrets. I get to decide to stop comparing and close the laptop. So what's a maximizer to do? Here's some tips, okay? One is to outline your key criteria for success, a successful decision in advance, right? Preset criteria. So what are the objective criteria that you will have to know that an option is good enough or that a project is finished? If you're choosing toothpaste or a place to live, what are the things you just can't live without? Remember, this does not mean to set your sights low. Just set your sights on something and be clear about it. You can also choose the first option that meets your criteria. Or stop working. The moment the pre-decided finished signs of a project happen, right? This is so key for the overworkers out there. So using my toothpaste example, if you're looking for a toothpaste that, that whitens without a specific chemical, right? But you aren't all that concerned with price because they're all like more or less the same. Choose the first whitening toothpaste you find that doesn't have the dang substance you want to avoid. And I know some of you are squirming in your seats, but it's true because you get to decide if you'll be okay with it. If you're deciding about an apartment or home, go ahead and do your research to find the places that meet your criteria, but stop researching when you've unearthed the options that meet your key criteria. Don't suddenly start considering things out of your price range, for example, just to see what you're missing, right? (laughs) Ask me how I know. (laughs) So people with analysis paralysis or perfectionists who have a hard time calling it quits might also want to set time limits on the time they allot to making their decision, like decide by this date and stick to it. Once the decision's made, once the project's done, Focus on the positive aspects of the choice or what you created. Focusing on what might have been is not a happiness habit. I'm going to say that again. Focusing on what might have been is not a happiness habit. Enjoy what you created. No regrets. Now, whatever you decide, don't waffle. Embrace wholeheartedly the choice you make. Enjoy it without second guessing yourself. What if you regret it? You won't regret it because only you get to decide if you'll regret something. So, this advice comes from what Dan Gilbert, who you may have heard of, is a Harvard psychologist. He wrote Stumbling on Happiness. He calls this the unanticipated joy of being totally stuck. (laughs) What? His research has found that people naturally prefer what they perceive themselves to be stuck with. What the what? So here's the research. Gilbert and his colleagues had college students rank their preference for six Monet prints, then allow them to choose between the one they ranked either third or fourth and take it home. 15 days later, he asked the students to re-rank the prints, and they, of course, ranked the print they took home much higher this time, and the one that they didn't choose much lower. This works even when the research subjects have a serious amnesia disorder and literally can't remember which print they choose to own. These data get even more interesting when we look at what happened in a different experiment where he let photography students take home one of their two favorite photographs, but had them give up the other to the class instructors. 
students in one group made their choice and then immediately had to give up the photo that they didn't choose. Students in another group were allowed to change their minds about the choice they made and had several days to reverse their decision about which one to keep, right? And the students who had to make their choice without the possibility of change tended to be far happier with the photograph they chose when asked about it later. The other students, however, who were allowed to kind of waffle and even change their mind if they wanted to, ended up being way less happy with the choice they made. Go figure, right? So what's happening here is the brain naturally justifies its choices, right? Remember the podcast I've done about how our brain looks for evidence to support what you believe. It's this that's going on, right? And actually, the brain will create positive sentiment about them, but only when it perceives that a choice is complete and can't be reversed. So this is what Gilbert calls our psychological immune system. So make your decisions and be done with them. Okay, rebels? Another important thing is to understand the why, because it helps to ask ourselves why we think we need to make perfect choices. Maybe we got burned before, right? Maybe a previous purchase went really wrong. We like bought a car that was a total lemon. Then we couldn't afford to repair it or replace it. Or maybe a business partner screwed us over, right? Which left us unwilling to trust. And we convinced ourselves we can't rely on other people for help anymore. Or maybe we think, we shouldn't be allowed to make mistakes because we were taught we should not be seen as imperfect, even though we all are. We also can focus on what matters. Like when I start spiraling down into endless research, I can stop myself like, how important is this really? My life is not going to be significantly worse if my freaking hiking socks wear thin a little too fast. (laughs) Other decisions like buying a house or a car, yeah, they deserve more, but not endless consideration. And if buyer's remorse starts to creep in once you've committed, maybe like um, a reality test you're thinking, like ask yourself, would your life really, really be vastly better if you'd chosen something else? And do you know that for sure? We can also decrease the number of decisions we have to make. Fewer options mean less angst over maximizing choosing the right one. So I've pulled some great ideas for you from Christine Carter's book, The Sweet Spot, which helped me a lot. So one, even if you don't have a project or big decision to make, a really important part of this is to limit your choices, right? This is a really effective way to reduce the decision overwhelm that comes from living in a place where we can get confronted with so many choices all the time. And the bonus is I end up feeling happier with the choices I've made and it decreases decision fatigue. Like buy the same brands again and again from the same retailers, no matter if it's like your oat milk or cashew milk or toothpaste, coffee or tea, cereal or gas. Like once something meets the criteria, don't make decisions about which brands or varieties to buy again or where to shop. Right? I get variety in my life in areas other than the grocery store. Okay. So if this sounds horrible to you, maybe you love trying new things, see where you find a sense of relaxation in constraining your choices. Maybe you decide to shop only at one store or choose only one new brand or variety per shopping trip. And I know all you fashionistas will hate this, but I kind of have only three or four 
uniforms that I wear day in and out, most days. If I exercise, it's my running shorts or my fave running tights, one of my five black Patagonia sports bras, a tank top and a jacket if I need, or my other winter getup if I'm in Alaska, right? If I'm giving a talk, I have these three dresses I love from Horny Toad in different colors that I wear with these boots I love. Casual day in Hawaii, shorts, tank, or tunic. Casual day in Alaska, my prana pants or jeans, cozy tee, and down jacket that I leave in my car. I get variety in my jewelry and accessories, right? Also, another tip, I eat pretty much the same two or three things for lunch every single day, like rice and veggies and a protein or a salad with a protein or a dal soup I make with spinach. (laughs) And I tried to follow a pattern for family dinners, but I fell off the wagon during my postdoc program, but we're getting back on. So that would look like Monday soup night, taco Tuesdays, Wednesday rice and chicken, Thursday fish and rice, Friday pizza night. You get the idea, right? And maybe this seems boring to you. And I get it. It can be, but it's also easy. And in my life where I'm faced with so many decisions every day, it actually ends up being such a relief to not have to make some of these. So of course, we can vary from these guidelines, right? Like when people come over, again, in the future sometime, (laughs) if we're out of town. But by creating some patterns and minimizing the decisions we have to make, I save a lot of energy that I'd otherwise be expending trying to decide what to cook, not to mention what's on the grocery list, right? I get more variety on the weekends. And about decision fatigue, we all have a limited capacity for decision-making on any given day. We start out with like a balance of energy for decision-making, and eventually we keep withdrawing from this account and it diminishes. But what also diminishes is the quality of the decisions we make and our self-discipline in general, our willpower. Here's the bottom line. In the end, I no longer think of myself as settling when I make a decision without exploring all the options. I just get super clear about the key things that I want. And I call that in. And when I see it and feel it, I go for it. And I don't question my decision after. I'm practicing satisficing. And I'm happier than I would be in the long run if I were to maximize. And I know this from personal experience. And now, you know, you've heard it's also supported by research. I also have more energy and clarity when big decision-making moments come along. So it's totally worth it. All right. Okay, Rebels. So your task this week is to practice satisficing, right? Santosha, contentment. (laughs) When you need to make a decision, I want you to get clear about what you want first. Come up with that key preset criteria. This ensures you aren't settling. You get really clear about what you want and the criteria that meet that. Then when you find options that meet those criteria, make a decision without researching any further. Start small with decisions about like toothpaste and maybe even plane tickets, right? A type of exposure therapy could help. Like you can gradually face fears and anxieties instead of avoiding them. So if you tend to like obsessively research even small purchases, buy $10 or $20 item without researching it at all. (gasps) You can do it. Notice how it feels and then do it again a few times. And your anxiety about not getting tons of options likely will decrease over time. Then you can graduate to doing this with bigger decisions like where to live or a car you want to buy. Remember, 
once you do make a decision, be happy about it and focus on all the ways, all the ways it was the right decision. Don't second guess it. Don't keep researching. Be happy with it. You can choose not to regret any part of that decision. Regret is a choice. So get out there and satisfy rebels. If you like what you heard, please spread the love and share it. And if you know you need some help with this and want to learn more about how to free your mind and free your life, go to rebelbuddhist.com and grab my free Rebel Buddhist Toolkit, where you'll receive a video training on cultivating resilience, access to the private Rebel Buddhist group where I do weekly live sessions on topics just like this, and a copy of the gorgeous Rebel Buddhist Manifesto, and more for free. That's rebelbuddhist.com.